Thank you for joining us here at First Baptist Church of San Antonio, whether online or on broadcast, in your homes or wherever you may be. We want you to know that you are more than welcome to be a part of the life of this church. And we want you to know that we want you to meet Jesus today. In order for this to happen regularly, we need your support, we need your prayers, and we need your financial gifts. Please continue to give and be a part of what we do today. I do want to say a couple of things before we get started. Please note, and please send Pastor Aaron a note, I used the hymn book in the children's sermon on the the day that he was out. I want to make sure I get credit for that uh, this week. And and I also want to say, Kennedy, thank you for filling in for Pastor Aaron today. Kennedy has been working with us. We're grateful for this. You you may not know this, but but Kennedy has taken special leadership in our orchestra, and it is as strong as it's ever been because of that, and thank you, sir, for your work there. And I'm grateful for that. I, I think more so than I am for this text. So this text we have been working with all week long is a depressing text. There's a hopelessness to it. But I I do want to steer you from this week on into next week. We're going to continue this chapter next week. But before we get to some of the resolution next week, we want to wallow in the loneliness of Job, the pain and the suffering that he feels this week. And so you'll sense that as we read together. So let's stand together. And we're going to read Job 19, 13 through, uh, 19, 13 through 19 aloud together. This then is the text for today. He has removed my brothers far from me, and my acquaintances are completely estranged from me. My relatives have failed, and my intimate friends have forgotten me. Those who live in my house and my maids consider me a stranger. I am a foreigner in their sight. I call to my servant, but he does not answer. I have to implore him with my mouth. My breath is offensive to my wife, and I am loathsome to my own brothers. Even young children despise me. I rise up, and they speak against me. All my associates abhor me, and those I love have turned against me. May God bless the reading of his word. This week, we come to Job chapter 19 in our study of Job. And here, Job paints a dire picture. Here we find an unparalleled catalog of rejection as if the scabby sores on Job's body spelled out the warning, unclean. Now, as you remember, we have been studying in Job for weeks now. And as we studied through, especially early on, we learned that Job's health not only terrorized him internally, but much of his health trial was external. It was visible. It was manifested in shocking symptoms. You remember, we've, we've gone through these symptoms before. His skin was rotting off his body in these darkened patches that fell off all the time. 
His bones underneath that skin were deteriorating. He had erupting pustules all, all over his body. He had fever, depression, nightmares. He had an overwhelming sense of itching. He had diarrhea. He was choking. And as we saw today, he has bad breath. Every one of these things kept coming up for months on end. Earlier, we also read in chapter 2 that Job is alone out on the ash heap outside of the city. His only friend then was a broken piece of pottery that Job would use to scrape off the hardened pus from his sores. And then a few verses after that, we hear that Job's three friends from out of town show up, and they come in to sit with him. And they, they don't even recognize him because he's in such a wretched state. You know, as they would approach the city, because the three of them were from far off, they made plans that they would, they would meet there that day and come and, and console Job. As they were making their, their plans, uh, typically they would have avoided the ash heap. The ash heap was a place just outside of town, but far enough that you wouldn't smell the burning feces and the rotting carcasses. The ash heap was where everyone in town took their scraps, including the excrement, and they would throw it into a pile, and once a month, they would set it on fire so that it would all break down into a pile of ashes. In some ancient cities, like this one, the ash heap was so large that it was the highest point anywhere around, higher than anything in the city, higher than the hills that surround it. Some called it the dung heap. And this place was the only place that outcasts and people with diseases were welcome. So Job's friends find him. And he's sitting in burnt manure, covered in sores that look like they're moving because worms are feasting on Job's rotting flesh. And to those friends' credit who came from far away, they all gathered and they sat with Job for a week without saying anything. They just sat with their friend and his army of worms. Now, after this, though, after Job's three friends visit, Job still feels like his only friends are a broken piece of pottery and this army of worms. Because as we move from chapter 4 all the way to chapter 19 where we are this week, there's just this back and forth between Job and his friends that just is sort of an arguing over one another. Job's friends don't believe what he's saying. Job certainly doesn't believe what his friends are saying. He doesn't, he doesn't stand for the accusations they're making against him. And so, at the end of it, you can picture Job picking up his broken piece of pottery and staring at the worm on the end of it because this is the only thing in his life that brings relief. See, when we're in chapter 19 today, and this we've been reading all week, Job is in utter isolation. He feels insulted by his friend's accusations. And he recites for us this soliloquy of loneliness in verses 13 through 19. Job notes nearly every category of relationship. He says, all of these people, everybody in any kind of relationship in my life have abandoned me. 
every person that I would expect to be cordial has responded with disgust. Some of them even go out of their way to avoid him. The others, they, they stare and they snicker. And it isn't just one person. This is everybody. Everybody in Job's life has abandoned him in this way. You know, if one person despises you, the hurt grips you, and it can consume your thoughts. But if every single person you see runs away gagging, it will break you. You know, there, there were some in the text who spoke to Job, but it was only to challenge him, to put him in his place, deeper into the dung of the ash heap. You know, there's, there's a lot of scholarly speculation about what verse 18 means, or what Job means there in that verse. But if we, if we take it for the surface of what it most literally seems to say, it sounds like there, there are kids outside playing, outside the city. And in their youthful curiosity, they're watching this wretched man to see what might happen next. And it seems as though Job tried to stand up with his feeble bones on loose ashes, and he stumbles. And when he loses his balance, the kids laugh at him and make fun of the scummy old man. You know, there's a part of us that feels relief when we read this. There's part of us when we hear of this kind of tragedy that we find relief that we're not the only ones. We feel relief because we've been jeered at or ignored in ways that felt unfair. And there is some sense of relief and that we're not the only ones who've been alone or abandoned. There's some pharisaical relief here too. Some of us read these cumulative rejections and we pray like the Pharisees, something like, I thank my God I am not like Job. We've been laughed at before, but not like this. Where every person that you run into treats you like the scum of the earth. So again, we, we find some relief. Well, my situation isn't that bad. Some of us feel empathy or some of us feel shame because we've turned our back on a friend before. That we, on some level, can all relate to Job's experience. We can feel Job melting into the ash heap as kids laugh at him. And we can relate because this sort of tribe has been a part of the human experience since the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. There's nothing new about this. There's nothing new about abandonment. There's nothing new about loneliness. It has plagued humanity since Satan came onto the scene to make it so. You know, even Jesus wasn't above it. Jesus was just as mistreated as Job was. Jesus was mistreated by insiders and mistreated by outsiders. It is what he came to be known for. You know, just a couple of weeks ago, 
We celebrated Palm Sunday. And in this moment of Palm Sunday, there is this glorious celebration about Jerusalem that crowds are gathering in around Jesus and throngs of people are coming in near him to, to shout praises unto his name, to give glory unto Jesus and to welcome him into the city as this valiant leader. In fact, would you look on the screen? We'll have the, the verse here for you. It's Matthew 21, verse 9. The crowds were going ahead of him, and there were those that followed him, and they were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. It was a glorious moment. It was turned on its head in not even a week. And not even a week later, the crowds of Jerusalem were yelling, Crucify him! But crowds are fickle. Even internally for Jesus, the relationships were breaking. Judas sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver, then later hanged himself. And Peter, P Peter may have been the closest of all to Jesus Christ. And, and listen to Matthew 26. We'll have it on the screen. Matthew 26, 73 through 75. A little later, the bystanders came and said to Peter, Surely, you too are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. Then he began to curse and to swear, I don't know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. Verse 75, and Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Or even still, Matthew 27, 45 and 46. Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is crying out in anguish. And even in this despair, he's, he's quoting Scripture, Psalm 22. The hill upon which Jesus died was as cold as Job's ash heap, as lonely an existence as one could have on this earth. Jesus was once at the peak of social curiosity, who is now nothing more than a criminal's carcass to be spit upon. But so we are. And so it must have been. See, Jesus, in the incarnation, experienced the full gamut of human relational interactions. And this is so because that is what the world produces. That is the sort of thing that comes when you interact with the brokenness of this world. The world and all that's in it as it stands in opposition to Jesus Christ, the world will always chew you up and spit you out. The only praise that you will ever get from this world will only be for an instant. And it's just long enough for those that you're interacting with to squeeze the life out of you. They want you good and fat so that they can feast on your dead body. You see, everybody that Job listed 
in, in this list as he's working down uh, verses 13 through 19. Every one of these people were people that Job had cared for dearly, that Job had taken care of and nurtured and showed them a way forward. And every one of them turned and ran as soon as Job was no longer used to them. They ate out of his hand one day and defecated on him the next. So too, the world wanted Jesus to be their miracle man. A, a, a sideshow of healing followed by an encore of dazzling swordsmanship. They thought of Jesus like a street performer. They might shower with spare change if they were so moved. The crowds didn't want Jesus. The crowds wanted to be healed and wanted to be entertained. They wanted someone to pass the time until the next big distraction came along. But Jesus is not your interlude between phases in life. Jesus cannot be used. Jesus cannot be manipulated for your own personal gain. And that is what those crowds sought to do. That is what churches have sought to do. But that is not who Jesus Christ is. You are not the instigator of this relationship, nor do you get to set the agenda for a relationship with Jesus Christ. When we come into a relationship with Jesus, it is complete surrender. We give up everything, everything in our life, everything of our life and existence is handed over to him and his lordship. And when that is the case, your days will be filled with purpose and ever-deepening relationships. You know, what we, we get from this world if there's any purpose at all in it, it's to be chewed up so the world can get fat eating your talent and then get drunk on your demise. You see, the way of the world is to sever relationships. The way of the world is to sever those relationships and destroy every good relationship that you have in your life. See, when you are no longer useful they will attack you and throw you on the ash heap next to Job's broken piece of pottery and his army of worms. We see this early in Job, and it remains even here in chapter 19. These broken relationships are something that Satan revels in. He loves it. When, when Satan was given permission to fight Job, he ripped away all the relationships and isolated Job. Satan clapped and giggled every time one of these people mentioned in these verses abandoned Job. This is his way. This is the way of the world. You can find Satan's jagged fingerprints at the exposed wound of every broken relationship. That is true for Job, and that is true for each one of us. But Jesus Christ restores. You see, Jesus' whole life, the crucifixion and the resurrection, it was to restore these broken relationships. You see, the world looks at Job's situation. 
his broken piece of pottery and his army of worms, and the world smirks. But Jesus sees us in times like that, and Jesus comes and restores. This was Jesus' work. Jesus' work was, was to fix that which sin has destroyed. And Jesus can heal that which has been dead for ages. You know, even after Peter denied Christ three times, Jesus came back so that relationship could be restored. Jesus didn't ascend into the Father until his relationship with Peter had been restored. Jesus didn't ascend to the Father until his relationship with Thomas had been restored. Jesus didn't ascend to the Father until his, his relationships with his followers had been restored. Though many of them, and most all of them, ran away at the worst of Jesus' pain, Jesus came back and he had breakfast with them. You know, this is, this is the story that we read at the end of the Gospel of John. It says uh, Peter is out fishing with some of the disciples, and Jesus calls to them. He's, he's, out on the, he's sitting on the shore, and, and when Peter realizes that it's Jesus calling, he just impulsively jumps out of the boat into the sea and begins to swim to shore so that he can be near Jesus. See, this is the work that Jesus does. This is the work that Job needed in these verses in 13 through 19. This is what he needed. This is what he longed for. And this is the very thing that Jesus Christ does for us. See, Jesus comes into our lives to heal broken relationships. And first and foremost is our broken relationship with God because any and all of us in our sin, are broken away from our God, and our sin separates us from forever from our God. The only way we come back into a restorative relationship with God is through the body and blood of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus works constantly in your life to restore and maintain that relationship. This is something you cannot do on your own. It is only by the cross that we are healed. It's only by that resurrection that we are restored. And Jesus is constantly at work in this way in our lives, making that relationship whole so that we are restored with our Lord God above so that you never have to feel like Job felt. And whenever Jesus heals your broken relationship with God, all kinds of other relationships follow, restoration of relationships you never dreamed would heal, and, and new relationships that never could have happened before Jesus came into your life. And these kinds of relationships begin to happen all around us, by the work of the Spirit through the body and blood of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus brings us into relationship. This is what the first and second greatest commandments are all about. The first and second commandments that Jesus talks about are the ones that bring us into the deepest relationships of our lives, the deepest relationships we can have on this earth. In fact, there is no way for us to have those apart from Jesus Christ. 
But, but by his work and in the power of his spirit, we can have the deepest possible relationship between friends. By the work of Jesus Christ, we can have the deepest possible relationship with our spouses. By, by the blood and work of Jesus Christ, you can have the deepest possible relationship with our God above the creator of the heavens and the earth. You see, Jesus is the catalyst of all of it. Jesus is the one who makes it right and good. Jesus is the one who solidifies those relationships so that we might have abundant life. There's no other way forward. There's no other way into holiness. There's no other way into peace than through these kinds of relationships that Jesus Christ brings about in our lives. The first of which is your ever-deepening relationship with the Lord. May you be nearer to God today than you've ever been in your life because Jesus is our Savior and our Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we recognize that we need restoration. We recognize that we need healing. Lord, we, we recognize that you are mighty and holy. And we pray, Lord, that you would come and heal our hearts. Lord, come and wrap your arms around us as a remedy to the loneliness. Lord, come and, and show us your goodness. We can be comforted as we mourn. Lord, we pray that you would bring us through the power of your Holy Spirit. It's in the name of our Lord and risen Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.